love and light. What's happening, y'all? My name is Brother Akeen, and this is my podcast, Akeen's Open Talk. Now here on this platform, I discuss a wide variety of topics, anything from politics to entertainment, love or relationship issues, current events, and even music. Any and everything is fair game. Now on this episode, I want to talk a bit about family structure and specifically through the eyes of a black man, two other black men. Um, I want to kind of focus on what it is that we view as family structure or do we even value it anymore. I mean, it seems as if though we have become immune to what I view as somewhat of a dysfunctional situation when it comes to family it's almost like this dysfunction or uh, this irregular behavior is the new norm so I kind of want to examine where that comes from and why does it seem to be okay today to be so lax on family structure especially with us brothers I also want to see if we can figure out some solutions. So as usual, I would love to thank you all for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. Now, let's talk openly. I know in this country, we put a big value on team sports. Um, In this country, being a successful member of a successful team is a big deal. You know, we promote the winning attitude of teams. We, We always get the lectures about doing your part, you know, doing your job, in order for the team to succeed, you know, everybody's got to, you know, pitch in, contribute, give it your all, don't quit, you know, the stereotypical, you know, coaching lectures that we would get if we're part of a team. You know, in this country, uh, sports is always an analogy to succeeding uh, when it comes to team sports, there's always some type of a, a grand lesson in life that's supposed to be learned by way of playing on a team. So, I thought it was ironic that in this country, since we have a such a positive attitude when it comes to succeeding with sports, that we don't apply that to personal life. Uh, We don't apply that to family structure, it seems. Now, I'm not saying everybody. I'm not saying, uh, you know, this is a, you know, a problem that's only limited to a certain group of people. But 
you know, I have to tell you that, you know, I'm mostly concerned with my community. And it seems like the whole team concept is put to the wayside sometimes. You know, and I, and I understand that it could be a generational thing. But with that said, I think we need to take into consideration that maybe because we no longer put as much emphasis in a complete family structure, that maybe that is why a lot of us end up where we are in these dysfunctional situations. Now, you know, I understand that single-parent households, they exist, and there are cases where things seem to work out fine, and of course there are cases where it seems that more uh, dysfunction and chaos seems to be promoted under those circumstances. And I'm a personal believer, uh, uh, you know, believer that it takes a complete family structure in order to increase the likelihood that the children will wind up being successful in whatever they choose to do in life, which is positive. So as a man, you know, I thought it was important for me to to kind of address, try to figure out some solutions on what we can do as men to strengthen our families. Because it seems to be, you know, more and more today that we have this attitude as if though we can just move along, leave uh, some of our responsibilities behind, and not share the responsibility when it comes to raising children. We just assume that, you know, mom is going to be able to take care of things. And again, I understand that every situation is different. I know from a personal standpoint, uh, that's not exactly the case with me. Unfortunately, though, uh, the family structure was broken uh, by way of uh, my personal divorce, you know, in, in, in my case. And it's not a good feeling um, when you have to put, uh, you know, put forth to your children that, you know, things are not working out uh, with their, you know, with, with, with mom or in cases when it's women with dad and we have to split this thing up and now you have to uh, have the children spend, you know, time over here with this parent and then other times over here with this parent. It just seems to, you know, cause more of a, uh, more of an abnormal type family setting. And it happens, and I know that we have to make the best of it, but I think that's probably some of what the issue is with us in our community. Um, psychologically speaking, we have always had to make the best of things. And I think because we are resilient people, we may not put as much emphasis on dysfunction when we come uh, to have to face it head to head. And I think our strength sometimes is what makes us weak. If that makes any sense.
because we've been through so much psychologically. We feel that we could take on anything. And sometimes we put up this false uh, sense of security and try to con- condition ourselves or convince ourselves to believe that, okay, this is another, this is another obstacle. I can get through this. Um, it, it won't really hurt me in the end. And, you know, it's admirable to be uh, someone that thinks with confidence that they could uh, proceed to move along in life without things affecting them negatively. But we have to be honest and understand that things do affect us. And sometimes our psyche is what's taking the hit and we don't even realize it. So speaking as a man, you know, I'm always trying to figure out what it is that we can do better as men to try to get our family structure back to where it should be. And with a lot of the sentiment being, you know, we are not really needed in order for a family to progress. That narrative sometimes get, you know, stuck in so many guys' heads that they don't even put the value on being in the home. You know, they don't even put it at the top of the list of their priorities. And that's unfortunate because I really believe kids, they benefit so much more with both parents in the household. So what is it that continues to create this single parent household uh, narrative? What exactly is causing it to be so prevalent within our community? There are so many different uh, factors and so many different scenarios and experiences and uh, factors that cause a single parent household but there's got to be something going on to where it's almost an epidemic type situation because the numbers are so high in our community what is it as men now I understand that you know we have issues uh, sometimes in our relationships and you know we we things don't last forever and you know couples split apart I get that but what is it about this attitude uh, with those guys that make it so easy for us to move on and sometimes forget our responsibilities, or sometimes not take them as serious as we should. That's the the serious question that needs answering. You know, I believe as a man, and I, uh, you know, everyone's situation is different, and it's so hard to really, you know, narrow it down to one thing or one uh, primary thing. But I can tell you that uh, it's really hurting the kids uh, when we uh, 
not uh, take serious our responsibilities as fathers. Now, you can go back to the basics and say, okay, before we even get to what I'm doing wrong as a father, what am I doing wrong as a husband or as a mate? What is it that I'm doing that is creating the scenario of us having to divorce? Now, I don't want to make this about pointing the finger because it's easy easy to say, okay, it was my ex, uh, she or he was the problem. Well, in this case, I'm talking, you know, from a man's perspective. So, uh, she was the problem, you know, she, she, she. But I think it's always important to start in the mirror before you start looking outward. So, what was I doing? Or what was I not doing that caused the tension between my mate and I? I think that's where we need to start. And again, it comes down to the psychology of it all. It comes down to uh, emotionally, what am I missing? Emotionally, what am I not providing? When I was growing up, what did I see? between my parents because it seems so easy to repeat behavior that we witnessed so often and if we had parents that were in a dysfunctional relationship well that's what we're soaking up and I know I was one of those guys that said well you know I'm not going to do what my parents did I'm not going to do what my father did you know once he decided to move forward and kind of do his own thing and not think much of the kids along the way. But ironically, subconsciously, a lot of times we wind up doing just that. And that's something that always amazed me. I mean, you consciously tell yourself you're not going to do it, but then you subconsciously just do it. So that is the thing. You know, we have to look in that mirror as men and say, okay, what can I do? In this relationship, what am I not bringing? There is a reason why I am with this person to begin with. There was something that attracted me to them. So that can't change suddenly just because we decide to make it a more serious relationship or to to marry so what am I doing now sometimes as men we get a little greedy and uh, you know we're in that day and age where you know we create terms to kind of justify uh, some of the bad behavior that we participate in you know we, we make it a joke somewhat to say we have quote-unquote side pieces you know there's songs about it that we you know dance and party to you know promoting this uh negative behavior we we just kind of take it in again because we're resilient people we try to you know always make the lemonade out of the lemon so we put humor to a lot of things that 
really are hurting us and this whole side piece thing although this is something that's been going on since forever today it seems to be promoted almost so as men sometimes we get a little bit greedy you know we we kind of uh, fall victim to the whole you know there's so much out there thing there's there's so much variety you know we as men as I stated before, we could be so one-dimensional. We like to to uh, look, and there's plenty of visual <laughs> images out there to look at. And sometimes, uh, you know, as men, we can't just leave it at looking, and so we we tend to get greedy and we tend to do things and kind of blame it or place it on the whole. Well, I'm just being a man thing. You know, that's what we do. You know, we, you know, sometimes we, we mess up. You know, meaning sometimes we stray outside of our commitments or outside of our monogamous relationships. And, you know, we put it on just being a man. It's a cop-out, of course. What it really is is a lack of discipline. And you have to be mentally prepared to take on serious relationships. So the thing about that is we have to be honest with ourselves and and say, look, it, it takes a lot more to this whole thing than, you know, finding someone that we, you know, has some things in common with uh, finding someone that stimulates us, you know, physically and 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 and, and mentally as well, it's just a little bit more than that. It's mostly about us. It's mostly about what is it that makes us whole. And having the maturity to say, I'm going to have to approach this thing with some discipline if I really want for this thing to work. If I really, really want something serious and I really want to uh, create a family structure and dynamic, do I have the discipline to do that? Because, you know, the way it goes, you know, once you, you know, decide to marry, it's supposed to be forever. You have kids, you raise kids together as a, as a, and set that solid foundation for the family. You do your part as the man, as the husband, as the father, and your wife does her part as the mother, the nurturer of the family. And we teach those values to our children so when they become of age, they know how to continue the family dynamic. That requires a lot of discipline, especially if you decide to marry at a young age. So when we fail in our marriages and we do things that contribute to the disruption 
of a marriage, we have to question our tactics. We have to question our self-discipline. We have to look at it and say, well, what did I do wrong? Instead of always pointing that finger. Because that's easier to do. It's easier to blame others. We sometimes cop out with that. Well, I cheated because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And that is not accountability. Self-discipline is an internal thing. No one else has that power to control you or your decision-making. You cannot allow for anyone to have that power. It all comes back to you. So if you want to continue to keep the family dynamic strong, then you have to look at yourself and say, and ask, actually, what can I do to keep this family dynamic strong? What can I do to improve it? That requires, again, self-examination and self-discipline. So why does it seem as if those so many men don't inhabit that? I think it has a lot to do with what we were taught, what we were not taught, what we saw growing up. And again, each case is different. I understand that, but I really think it it, it takes surrounding yourself in a, you know with people or putting yourself in an environment where family values is a high priority and is promoted in order to take in that energy. Now, if you're surrounded by chaos all the time, then it's a good likelihood that you're going to be immune to chaotic situations and subconsciously promote them. But if you reverse that and you turn it from chaos into some type of a positive energy, then the likelihood of you you know, being a little bit more positive and a little bit more... Uh, you know, prioritizing family structure a little bit more, that's a likelihood that that's going to happen if you are in that environment, you know, most of your life, being able to, to, to witness it, you know, to soak that in. So what do we do from here? I mean, many of us may not have seen that positive structure. Okay, so we can't continue to use that as as an excuse because I think many of us know that we had not seen a positive structure. So we know that that's not generally the way things are supposed to be. So knowing that, what do we do? And I think it all starts with you. I mean, if it's something that you want, uh, you put in the work to achieve it. And if you value family structure, you're going to put in the work 
to promote it and to strengthen it within your own family. If you don't care, or if you're the type that's uh, ready to point fingers and shift the blame elsewhere, then you're going to continue to have that dysfunction. And I call it dysfunction because usually what comes with, uh, you know, divorce or what comes with these breakups sometimes emotionally, uh, you know, we're not ready to deal with it or we're not willing to. And that's where that breeding grounds for dysfunction starts. So if we're really serious about countering that, I think that comes down to us putting in the work. As men, we have to to lead by example. The young men today, they're not going to learn it if they don't see it being done by the elders. Or at least they're not likely to, let's put it like that. And there's only so much that mom can do when it comes to raising young men. So I think we have to get serious. I think, you know, we have to stop living this uh, arrested development type lifestyle. You know, we, we're wanting to rap and make mixtapes in, in our 40s and 50s. I think we need to put that stuff <laughs> to the side, you know, and start thinking, Example. I want to be a positive example. I want to be someone that can teach. And I think that's the key to turning things around. It, it comes down to us as men. The family dynamic, in my personal belief, starts with us. Because if we're going to take on the traditional role as being protector and provider and and things of that nature, then we are the foundation. And as the leader, your family's going to go where you lead them. So just like with team sports, you know, the the team is going to take on the personality, most likely, of its leader, of its coach, you know, of the, the, the one that takes on the responsibility of leader. So it's only going to go where we allow for it to go. So as men, we, we really have to do some self-examining here. The family structure counts on us. And... If we just if we decide to take this thing seriously, we can turn things around. If we continue to dish off the responsibility onto others, we can't get upset and start pointing fingers at others when things go wrong. We pass that buck. In our community, we have to start taking accountability. That's something that a lot of us have become distant from. Accountability. 
Everything is an excuse. Everything is someone else's fault. That's where we lose. Someone has to stand up and say, that's on me. I have to do better. I have to go back to the drawing board and come up with a better plan. I cannot allow for everyone else to take on this responsibility that is supposed to be afforded to me. And only then will our young men see examples of how to be better men. So again, to wrap this thing up, I think in order for our community to advance, it starts with the family structure. We've got to get that sound idea of structure back. As men, we have to remain in our households with our families. As men, we have to be accountable. As men, we have to be leaders. No more standing behind our partners. No more allowing for our partners to take the hits. We have to stand up as warriors and take the hit wherever it's coming from because that is our responsibility. I would hope at some point the narrative shifts while I'm alive, while I'm alive that is, so I can see it. But we won't get there if we don't make the effort. I think when it comes to entertainment, we have to tame that because a lot of times our kids are growing up being taught by the entertainment world, developing their values based on what they see on TV or what they listen to in music, what they see online, what they see in movies. And believe me, there are agendas that are being promoted through these various types of media. So I think we need to get back to raising our own. And we have to stop letting other people and other sources, we have to stop letting them raise ours. And again, fellas, that starts with us. We need to get our values back. I think we can do it if we want to do it. The question is, when, collectively, are we going to want to do it? It's time to look in that mirror, fellas. I have faith in us. I think it can happen. But we got to get that warrior blood flowing again. 
I'm only critical on us because I love us and I want to see the best. If you agree or disagree, let me know. If you have any ideas of what we can do to turn things around as a community, let me know. I think it's only healthy to be able to exchange and dialogue, exchange information and and create ideas and, and, and share them. Because collectively, we're going to have to figure out a way to save us. Because, as you know, no one else cares. <laughs> this is on us. Much love to everyone listening. I have faith in us. It's not over with yet, y'all. Let's get better. Much love and respect. This is Brother Akeem. Thank you for listening to Akeen's Open Talk. Now, if you would like to leave a comment or two, or if you have any questions, or even an idea for a topic for a future episode, please look up my Facebook group on Facebook and join. Now, it's under Akeen's Open Talk. I will accept you, and then you will be able to contribute. Thank you. Okay, here we go again. The lab dogs are barking for their masses. You know, I get up this morning and um, I read of a very disturbing story, which lately, unfortunately, that's not been an uncommon theme. But anyway, I read an unfortunate story. And um, according to the details of the story, I just know the main characters that are about to come out And I know the main narrative these characters are going to stick to. And I know the main figures these characters are going to defend. And lo and behold, here comes the narrative and the commentary popping up on my Facebook timeline. I mean, I just knew it was coming. It was so easily predictable. Now, as most of you may know, The story I'm referring to is one of two that I've seen, by the way, this morning. I'm going to bypass the other story because I think it deserves another podcast episode in its own. Uh, It was a very disturbing story out of uh, Minneapolis. But I'm going to uh, focus on the story that came out of New York City Central Park, where there was a brother who, let's just say, he was called out of his name for attempting to do the right thing. And he was called out of his name, ironically, by someone who you just know had no intentions on trying to resolve an issue the right way. Now, the story I'm referring to is, like I said, most of you may know, there was a brother that was in Central Park. I believe he was a bicyclist, but I I, I could be wrong on that detail. But he came across a woman who had her dog unleashed. And I guess the dog may may have been disrupting, I don't know, some flowers or something. I'm not even sure about that part, but the dog was unleashed. That's the, the main point here. 
which is not only a violation of park rules, but it's also against the law. You know, it's against city ordinance, so that makes it unlawful. So the brother very calmly asked the woman to leash the dog. And instead of following the law and just doing the right thing, putting the damn dog on a leash and walking away, she aggressively approached the guy, angrily, obviously, and uh, because she didn't like being checked by him, decided she was going to call the police instead and report this African-American man threatening her. Obviously, she knew the code words. She knew the words that would get the response from the police, which is African-American male threatening. Now, we all know that's going to get a hot response. They're coming in blazing, right? And she made it seem as if though she was actually being attacked by the brother. Good thing he recorded it all, and it was um, shown, obviously, that not only was he not attacking her, but she was the aggressive party looking as if though she wanted to attack him. But she knew the tactics to use. She was the one playing the role as a Karen. And most people online were familiar with that term, that slogan, Basically, a Karen being the one who inserts herself into everyone else's business, trying to police them. You know, basically, black folk. You know, she's wanting to police black folk. And when things doesn't go her way, she then turns victim. Then she starts to cry and whine. And, you know, now she wants to get law enforcement involved because they're going to come save her. You know, playing the damsel in distress role. Well, going back to the... The commentary that popped up on my news feed this morning. One of the well-known defenders of the right, defenders of the white, popped up with her narrative as, as usual. And what I thought was ironic was she actually called the brother a Karen. Which at first I thought she would, you know, not use that term because that term, you know, that's anti-white woman. So she's usually defending those types. So I figured she'd condemn the term, but she herself used the term. But she used it against the black man because she was upset that in this case, when the white woman wasn't the law-abiding citizen and she was called out on her actions, the black man himself decided to input his own uh, uh, say into the situation by asking the woman to leash the dog. So she calls him a Karen and blames him for half of the conflict. Okay, now I'm confused because weeks ago when it was the McMichaels killers who called themselves performing some type of a citizen's arrest on a man that didn't commit a crime, she defended their actions, saying that, you know, we got the right to police and patrol our own communities. When we see someone we think doing wrong, we have the right to try to approach them and detain them 
for the police and if they got to bring guns to the scene to do that, that's okay too. So when it was the killers of Arbery, you know, the brother that was killed in Brunswick, Georgia, uh, a couple months back, it was okay. You know, it was okay, the actions that they took to track the man down and try to do what they thought was the quote-unquote right thing. It was okay to be Karen then. It was okay to get involved. It was okay to come out and protect the community from the wrongdoing black man that's just out here lying about jogging because he's up to doing no good. He's up to stealing. He's up to causing destruction. He's up to coming to get your white kids. You know, it was cool to be Karen then. But in this case, the brother asked. He didn't give a directive. He asked, could you please leash your dog? Which is an unlawful act to not have your dog leashed. So when the woman reacts the way she does, instead of this particular commentator calling out the woman and saying, you know what, she broke the law, she could have avoided this whole thing if she would have just did the right thing, leash the damn dog, and go about your day. Now saying that, you know, that, that would have been too much. See, we, we still got to find a way to assess the blame on the black man, so we're going to call him a Karen and say he should have minded his business. Really? See, this is the thing, that selective outrage we see here. And she's not the only one, by the way, unfortunately. There's another character uh, that, you know, seems to always have opinions that seems to be slighted against black people. But, you know, I'll wait for his commentary later. But this is the thing. I mean, we, you know, we have this selective outrage. And when it comes to policing black people, Everybody seems to be okay with that. You know, white women, white people in general, policing the wrongdoing black man in particular, there seems to be nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's the American thing to do, right? You see a black man doing something wrong, you have every right to get involved. But you can't have a black man try to police white people, in particular a white woman. Because, see, historically speaking, white women and black men, that was never a good thing. So, obviously, this woman in the park, she knew what to do. She knew exactly the the, the code words to use. And I can only imagine how things would have been had he not, uh, the bicyclist, had he not recorded the whole ordeal. Because, as we know... A lot of times to get justice here, we got to have video. You know, your word as a black man is not strong enough against the word of a white accuser. So you got to have something to back you up. And even with video, sometimes we don't seem to get justice. But in this case, he recorded it. And fortunately, he wasn't harmed. Now, the woman, I think, should have been reprimanded some type of way or or she should have been sanctioned or issued something because she just wasted police resources resources on a lie. You know, I know a lot of people like to say, well, you can't penalize people for 
calling the police when they think something's going on wrong and they get it wrong. You can't penalize them for that. Okay, granted. But when you intentionally lie, when you intentionally embellish in order to get a response from the police because you don't like to be called out on your wrongdoing, I think she should be sanctioned in some type of way legally. Now, she may go on to lose her job. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know who she works for or how serious they take these type of incidents. They may look at it as, hey, she's on her own time, doing her own thing. They may not get involved. But when it comes to the law, if you're able to prove that this person embellished a story or this person just flat out lied in order to get a certain type of response from police officers, that person should be ticketed, charged, sanctioned in some type of way to discourage that type of behavior. But of course, no. We're just going to say, hey, each party go their own way. Each party is responsible for their actions that contributed and blah, blah, blah. We won't get condemnation against the woman because we can't do that, right? Not, Not in this country. We can't hold a white woman accountable for her actions, right? So again, this commentator finds a way to blame half of this conflict on the black man, which he did nothing wrong. I mean, can you imagine had it been the other way around? You're in Central Park as a white woman bicycling or whatever you're doing, and you see this black man with an unleashed pit bull in the park, and you decide to ask this man to leash his dog. And instead of doing that, he responds by aggressively coming towards you. Could you imagine then how the white woman would have responded? Can you imagine then how society in this country would have responded? Can you imagine then how these lapdog commentators for the right would have responded. And this ain't even about politics. This ain't even about black and white in the sense of no black can do wrong, all whites are bad. I'm not even going that far. But in this case, the players just happen to be a white woman and a black man. And in this country, again, historically, that's usually not a good mix. So had it been the other way around, you can imagine what would have been said. He should have followed the law. He should have complied. Because, you know, these legal eagle beagles, the ones that feel like because it's a law, just follow it no matter how unjust it may be. I don't hear them condemning the woman at all. In fact, once again, they're turning at the man and calling him a Karen because he asked, once again, the woman to do the right thing. And oh, by the way, The funny part of this story is as she's condemning him or coming at him and she's calling the police lying on him, 
she's pretty much damn near choking the dog. Now, you know how Americans are about their dogs. I'm waiting to see if I'm going to hear anything from the dog lovers, the PETA people. <laughs> and it's a joke. It's funny. I get it because it's ridiculous. But I'm, I'm serious about it, though. I'm waiting to hear if anyone at least condemns her for that. I mean, the dog's damn near, like, you know, trying to get away. He don't want anything to do with this. And it just looks as if those you're just dragging the dog by the neck, choking him. But, of course, you know, we're going to overlook that. We're going to focus on the Karen black man, as if, though, that makes sense. Okay, so which way you want it? Should citizens get involved or not? Do you think that only a certain group of citizens should be able to police another group of citizens? Is that what you want? Usually, as a representative of the black community, the way I see things, usually we avoid trying to play police. We avoid trying to escalate situations that, you know, is just not that important. I, mean, I, I doubt very seriously that many of us would have made big deals about kids selling water in front of a stadium or somebody barbecuing at a park. You know, those type of things, usually, as black folks, we don't really pay much mind to that. It's not important to us. We're not calling the police to rat anybody out for pretty much minding their own damn business. See, that's where that Becky thing started. You know, Becky, Becky will rat on you. She'll rat on you. I don't know. She's jealous. I don't know. She 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 got some other issues on her mind. I don't know. But she wants to lash out at you. She wants to play apartment manager when she's not an apartment manager, and she wants to rat on people that comes around that doesn't look like they don't belong there. You know, you look like you don't fit. So I'm gonna call the authorities because you don't look like you belong in this college. You don't look like you belong or you live in this building. You just don't look the part. So Becky will rat on you. But see, it's the Karens that'll get you killed. Because when the Karens can't police you, they'll turn the whole scenario into them becoming the victim. And now they're under attack. And they get dramatic. And they play that whole victim role to a T. They're wanting to come get saved and protected. Because their policing methods didn't work. I saw this other clip. I don't, I don't know if it was a movie, a joke, a prank or what. I think it was authentic, but it was just so ridiculous, I had to consider it being a prank. There was this woman, um, she was in front of this car. This car was just stationary, it didn't move not one time. And she evidently was on the phone calling authorities saying that she was getting ran over by this man. Now the man, he's, I don't want to prejudge, but I'm not, 
I'm not leading to think that he was a black man. Let's just put it like that. It didn't, you know, strike me that he was. Yeah, you know, and I don't mean to come off as sounding, you know, prejudiced myself by trying to judge the vernacular, but it just didn't seem like it was a brother. Let's just put it like that. And she's playing this role like this guy is running over her, and she she elevates and she gets more vocal and loud. And oh my God! And she's he's about to run me over and kill me. And the the car never moved, and the guy is so monotone. <laughs> it, it's just hilarious. The role she played. It's almost like I, I knew it had to be a joke. But unfortunately, I don't think it was. I mean, she was really just playing that role. Oh my God, he's killing me. He's, ki- he's moving the car now. He, he's rolling over me. Please send help. Send help. Car never moved. See, they know. They know these things. They know what to do to get a response that they're looking for. They, they know. They know the code words. They know how to sound. I mean, they, they know. They master this thing. Well before Tulsa 1927. I mean, they've been doing it forever. These are the acts that can possibly get people killed. So at the end of it all, as far as the Central Park story, the woman issues out somewhat of an apology because... You know, the way I look at it is, it's not an apology if you're going to use but. Yeah, I'm sorry. I overreacted. My fault. But the guy was threatening to me. Well, you're not not owning up to your action. You're not being accountable. You're still trying to assess blame elsewhere when it's really on you. So all of these Blue Lives Matter, Follow the Law, or else type people, where are you now with this woman? Why didn't she just follow the damn law? Comply. Right? That's what you do, right? You, you comply. You don't resist. You comply. Do what you're asked to do. Do what you're told to do. Just do it. Right? So where's the hardcore stance on this woman? So, you know, the sorry-ass apology that she attempted to make didn't mean anything to me. And again, fortunately, the brother wasn't hurt. But the nonchalant attitude, the a matter-of-fact-oh-well type of a response she had to the whole thing, it didn't surprise me at all. But that's the unfortunate thing. She didn't care. She just happened to get caught. She got caught on video, so she couldn't lie her way out of it. Because best believe, if there wasn't a video, trust me, she's not admitting to anything. See, these days, the video, the video, may be the thing that saved our lives. And I would suggest we all arm ourselves with the video recorder. You know, phones or the ones that you mount in your car that records everything inside of the car just in case you get one of those you didn't signal in enough time traffic stops. 
and you have cops that's basically there trying to profile you and dig through your car and all this other kind of stuff, get the get the camera that mounts in the car. Get the multiple phones, whatever you have to do. Because that is going to be or may be the one thing that saves us. Because it's damn sure not going to be our own words. Our word holds no weight against their word. It's not even about the justice system anymore. I mean, we expect for our word not to trump out the words of police officers and judges and anyone inside of the law enforcement realm. We already know our words won't matter to, you know, to them. You know, our words mean nothing. But now, as we can easily see, that type of privilege is extended to regular citizens. Her word would have trumped his word had it not been for the camera. I know for a fact that would have been the case. They would have dug in his background and seen what kind of crime he did in middle school. He bullied a kid in the third grade. He's a thug. They would have went out of their way to vilify this man. And they may still do because they're pissed off that a black man called out a white woman. So they're going to make it as if, though, well, here we go. This guy, how does he have the nerve to try to correct her? He smoked weed when he was in high school. He shoplifted bubble gum when he was in middle school. That's what they do. So our word, as you know, means nothing trumped up against any white citizen, especially those of power. Our words mean nothing compared to theirs. So we need the video. And let me go back a bit. I don't mean to generalize, okay? So no generalizing here. I'm not going to say everybody is a certain way. But we all know the history in this country. And the actions that some people take when they lie. Those lies can get people killed. And it's usually us people. So I just thought it was odd, but wasn't surprising that a black man trying to do the right thing gets called Karen by the ones that's usually defending. Okay, usually defending those that call out black people that break the law. Don't recall her or the guy that I'm expecting to make a comment later. Don't re- I don't recall them calling McMichaels the McMichael killers. I don't recall them calling those guys Karens. What I do recall is them trying to defend them and say that, hey, they were patriots of their community trying to do the right thing. They're not going to do any time. They're going to get off. These are the words they were using. Oh, it's not going to stick. The guy shoplifted. 
he deserved to get tracked and killed, basically. So I don't recall the Karen name calling to the, 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 the McMichael killers. But here, here we go. Black man does nothing wrong once again, and he's being vilified and insulted. That's the country that we live in today, folks. So keep your eyes open. I mean, you know, the Karens and the Beckys, they're going to be out there. And not to say that every black person does everything right. I'm not here to say that. But if you're going to call us out, call them out too. You can't say, well, yeah, they did wrong, but we're going to find something to blame on you too so we can call this a 50-50 thing. Because if you do that, now you're sounding like that character that claimed both sides have fine people. Instead of being accountable for what you do or the people that you fancy up to do, you're going to find a way to make both sides complicit. Accountability is a selective thing to you. So this whole I'm going to come out and play junkyard dog for the massa that whole Stephen from Django role that you're trying to play for profit, by the way, because you best believe this person asked for some donations after she went and slanted and tried to defile the name of the brother. Of course, she asked in the same breath for some money. You know, these characters like to make their money, too. Now, they like to peddle merchandise and, you know, grift their way through things and they know what side to cozy up to because those folks keep them paid. You know, they keep, they know where the money comes from. They know not to bite that hand that feeds them. So they play up. They play up to their supporters and they get their money. So she definitely will get, oh, wow, did I say she? This person <laughs> will definitely get paid. She's going to, once again, Sorry, no she. This person <laughs> is going to get patted on the head. Good job, good job, good job. And the routine will go on. Just be aware. Be conscious of what's going on. Be alert. Be prepared. Be ready to defend. Because they're coming at us. All day, every day. They're coming at us politically, socially, and economically. So just pay attention to things. I could tell you pretty much how these stories, when I hear them, I could tell you who's going to be on what side, who's going to blame who, before all the facts come in and all of that kind of stuff. They're still picking sides, though, I notice. They don't wait for the facts to come in. That's just something that's said to try to find defense of the wrongdoers, usually for them. But anyway, just pay attention. Watch who defends who. Watch who says what about who. You'll be able to piece it all together. Again, I appreciate you guys for listening. I appreciate your support. Anything you have to say to me. Whether you agree or not, you know how to do it. Just contact me in my Facebook group. 
My name is Brother Akeem. Much love and light to you all. Much respect. And I'll see you down the line.